Without further ado, I would like to introduce our next guest of the Passion Report, Hedvig Vessel. She is an amazing skier. She's a two-time Olympian. She competes on the Freeride World Tour, and she is an absolute killer. So without further ado, let's, let's, let's have Meeks take us away. All wave out, no wave in. Yeah, hard body, hard body. Car to car to car. Okay, okay. Do you know where that song comes from? No, but I love it. Okay, it's uh, from like a free skiing video. And you're the first like big mountain or mogul skier on this podcast. So wow. it's pretty cool having you and getting a different perspective. Yeah, thank you. I am so stoked to be here. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. So I, you know, just want to ask you a couple questions. And I think nice to maybe start from the beginning. So you're, you're Norwegian. <laughs> I am Norwegian, yes. A lot of people actually think I'm Swedish because I have been, um, well, hanging out with a lot of Swedes. I was on the national team in mogul skiing, but we were we were teamed up with the Swedish team. And my coaches are have been Swedish. All my sponsors are like from Sweden. And I even like to the point that the Free Ride World Tour gave me a Swedish flag on the BIP one year, and I was like, "Bro, I'm from Norway." Did you have to do the competition with the Swedish flag? I think I had to. Yeah, I think we just taped it because it didn't have enough time to give me a new one. But then for the next comps, I got I got my Norwegian flag. That's hysterical. That is <laughs> super funny. But I bet, like, you know, for people outside of Scandinavia, they're like, Norway, Sweden, it's the same thing. Yeah. But, yeah. It's, but it's not. For the record, it, it's not. Yeah. So where in Norway did you grow up? I grew up in Oslo. I grew up in the city, um, kind of a little bit outside of the city, but... We um, we were you know lucky enough to have um, every weekend we went away to our winter house and started skiing from a very young age. Um, so I feel like I don't know the mountains and the nature were just always a part of me. Yeah, definitely. So it's true what they say about Norwegians that you guys are born on skis. When would you say you first started skiing? Oh my God, yes, we're definitely born on skis. Like I can't even remember life without skiing. Um, so I went to this kindergarten. It's like on the top of Oslo, and we had our private ski lift in the kindergarten. So it's like I think I started skiing when I was three years old, and so the kindergarten is like in the woods, and um, we had a little lake there, and then you can just walk into the woods, and be cross-country skiing for days like it's just endless you go into the woods until you reach Sweden basically and um yeah so this place just oh I love it so much so much gratitude for for that but that's where I where I learned to ski it was like three days a week we did skiing up like alpine skiing or you know we went in the lift and then the other days we went cross-country skiing that's awesome. I'm jealous. <laughs> My kindergarten did not have a private ski lift. No. Yeah. It's not normal, but it's like if I can have my kids there, I would be stoked. And definitely. And that's what's cool with Oslo is that you guys do have the mountains like right by the city. And then you have super easy access uh, to like some of the better mountains, like only like three or four hours from the sea center. So I'd say mm -hmm. of all the Scandinavian cities, Oslo is the best to be a skier in. Yeah. I mean, depends. Like if you mean, you do mean like big cities? Yeah, I mean, like, basically, like yeah. Oslo, Stockholm, Helsinki. Yeah, I feel like Trondheim, Ålesund, which also, like, kind of big cities, like, you have bigger mountains closer. So, yeah, I think that's a good place to be as well. Yeah, Norway is spoiled. So you guys are so <laughs> spoiled with Trondheim and then, like, all the mountains that you guys have because 
you guys have like all of the big mountains in Scandinavia. Yeah, we were lucky. We got it all. I got heard the fjords. The fjords. So unconfirmed story here, completely unconfirmed, but I heard that basically like a story that when Norway got its independence from Sweden, I don't know enough to say if it was by fighting or by agreement or whatever, the Swedes are like, okay, give them the mountainous like parts because it's really hard to farm on these parts. And basically said like, okay, and they drew the line and the line basically was to give you guys all the bad farming land. And then fast forward, I don't know how many hundreds of years, but now Norway has all the best mountains. And if you're ever on a mountain in Sweden, you can always see Norway. Because it's like if you're on a mountain in Sweden, you're on the border almost to Norway and all mm-hmm. the better mountains you see are in Norway. That I I don't know if that's true, but it, I mean, it sounds legit. The only thing that I do know is that Norway was definitely owned by Sweden and then was like Denmark and Sweden were fighting. It's like, oh, in, in like the first place they wanted Norway and then the other times like they didn't want Norway and then it's like oh fuck no I got Norway now and then in the end we in 1814 we we broke out and we became our own which was a great day on the 7th of May 17 17th oh damn almost I almost had it I almost showed my <laughs> exemplary uh, Scandinavian knowledge right there so what's it like as a Norwegian kid because you have this ski lift and what I've noticed is like Norwegian kids, I don't know what it is. There's something in the water, but it feels like you guys uh, are feel are fearless in comparison to, uh, I don't know, in comparison to what, maybe Americans, but I feel like there's definitely something uh, about Norwegian culture that is different about how you guys grow up and mm-hmm. sort of just take us through what, what's it like yeah. as a what's Norwegian what's a normal... Kid? I think it kind of depends where you live, for sure. Like if you live near the mountains or near resorts uh, or like your if your family grew up in like downtown city and don't have access to those things it's still like it's gonna vary but I feel like overall you know in the weekends you would always go out in nature with your family it's like either you go you know you know in the winter you would go cross-country skiing or um, skiing in the summer you would just go biking or walking and I really feel that that is like a deep down culture throughout the whole country. And we we just move out in the mountain as a family. And it's like, you know, you pack your food, you go out there and you're out all day. And it doesn't matter the weather. Uh, we just go out and, and do our thing. And I think that's like one of the biggest differences what I've heard from, from Sweden, where like if you go, if you live in a city, you're kind of just hanging out in the city. But we would always go out of the city to find nature and in the woods and um, yeah. So it's, it's very like a lot of a lot of activities just around the outside outside uh, activities. Definitely, and I have another hypothesis. But what I've noticed in Scandinavia is uh, that I I feel like people are like way more like fearless. Like when it comes to like being kids, like uh, always jumping off things. Like when I went to Oslo and I went skiing, I was like, oh my God, these kids are absolutely insane. You look at the Norwegian free skiers right now, you work at mm. a lot of them and they're, they're risk takers for sure. Like even adults, mm. like the event, you know what adults is? No. The death diving where they like. Oh, Dutz. Dutz, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. For so sure. Even Dutz. I feel like there's like a, a fearlessness in uh in uh, scandinavian culture 
and maybe Norway is like the example of this best. And my thought process is because you guys have such good like uh, government um, mm-hmm. support with like health insurance and universities that <laughs> that kids in Scandinavia can be a little more uh, less consequential thought process because maybe I don't know. Yeah, I know. We'll leave that theory for that. Yeah, theory. that's an interesting theory, though. Know? Like I've never even th- thought about that. Maybe we are like we are raised for, like from our parents that is never a concern so it's never like oh be careful because we don't have money to cover you if something happens it's just like go out and have fun and then whatever happens we'll we'll figure it out i don't know exactly you're not worried about your family's health insurance deductible and <laughs> some other things yes. and needing to get in line because you know obviously like college is such a big investment basically i feel like the american culture sometimes like places uh more responsibility on kids at a young age to basically like get in line mm-hmm. choose a direction and invest a lot of money in that direction uh, so i think that in many ways i could see i don't know now we're just comparing some cultures here but i think it's an interesting thing to take into account and you know i'm very inspired by skiers from scandinavia and i remember when i first started skiing with my friends from sweden i was like oh i can tell they i don't know what the difference is in their philosophy than, than my philosophy and my friend's philosophy but there's definitely a difference in philosophy yeah i don't know i think maybe we're just you know that the bad weather and conditions like we're just used to skiing on shitty snow and bad weather because it's always horrible and uh, we still go out if it's raining or stormy or whatever minus 20 degrees we're just used to those conditions so maybe we just get tougher by that i bet you do and so you started how did you get into mogul skiing so i excuse me I, um, yeah, growing up, I did a lot of sports. Like, I was a kid with a lot of energy and did, like, two sports a day. Um, So my parents would drive me, like, straight from gymnastics to alpine racing through cross-country skiing. Um, And as a kid, I did mostly alpine racing, cross-country skiing, and gymnastics. But then that became a bit too boring for me. And then when I was... I think 11 years old, I got the opportunity to join Kari Tra and the Kari Tra team, which was basically Kari, who is a three-time Olympic medalist, uh, who saw that there's no no mogul skiers at the moment. There's no upcoming riders, and she wanted to do something with that. So she basically invited like girls from around the country to come at this ski camp. So I was part of the Kari Tra team where we traveled around Norway, and um, just had fun like it was such a beautiful experience and like coming from alpine racing and gymnastics who were you know really serious and here we just felt that we were out playing and we were out playing and having fun and like obviously having Kari as a coach was just like so special and um, yeah so like obviously I've, I've always been really competitive and and when I started mogul skiing, I was like, okay, I want to be the best. I want to go to the Olympics. And I just started training and um, it got more and more serious. Um, but I was doing it always like combining school. And that was also really important to me. But then, yeah, and then I started skiing Europa Cup, started doing well there. Uh, got to try the World Cup and it kind of just like went on from there really. And yeah, and then I did eight years in the World Cup and um two olympics and yeah after my second olympics i had changed to free ride 
Heck yeah. We're going to get to that transition, but I guess I think a lot of people are probably interested. Like, so anybody that's an Olympian is incredibly good at what they do. And sort of how did you come from probably like you were a talented skier, probably being on skis for a long time. You have some gymnastics background, but you didn't ski moguls whatsoever. And like, what kind of tips do you have for somebody who maybe is in the position where they are 13, 14 or younger and they have that goal of going to the olympics and is there anything from your journey you'd like to share with us oh wow i mean that's a big one it's so individual but i feel like the most important is to find a sport like find something that you love and go out there with your friends and for me what i experienced and that i would share is like ski with people or do the sport with people that is better than you if you do that, then you will naturally be pushed into that direction and you have someone to look up to and you have someone to follow. So if you can, if you're lucky enough, you know, for someone to show you the way, then I think that's, uh, that's a big one. Um, and be dedicated. Like if you really want it, you, you need to, in, there's some sacrifices and there's a lot of time that needs to be dedicated to the sport and, um, be prepared for that but enjoy enjoy the journey and enjoy the moments um but work hard and you know you work hard and play hard and go to bed early eat healthy go 100 percent in the gym and like i tried to say like when i was i still do i guess but like especially in between my olympics i was like i wanted to look myself in the mirror every night and like okay yes you did everything you could today to be the best you possibly can and then I had that like every night if I got a lot of no's like mm, no not today like you didn't give everything if I felt that and getting in like one no or two no's it's fine of course but if I felt that no that no was like getting after or like was often the answer I was like okay I need to make a change or like there's something here that I need to do differently definitely what was uh what was that moment because you're a young girl you really want to go to the Olympics you get your first Olympic qualification, what was that moment like? The qualification or like the ticket to the Olympics? The ticket to the Olympics. Yeah. You know that, well, you know what's happening. Like, like I'm going. Yeah, you're going, you're <laughs> qualified, like you're doing it. Yeah, wow. I remember actually, I think we were in Canada right after World Cup because we had to qualify. Like I had to have like X amount of, um, I had to be top eight or something. And I remember waking up in Canada and after a race and just like walking, going into my email and just like, okay, I'm invited, like I'm going. And that was like, it was an amazing moment. And I, I didn't really believe it, but at the same time it was like, it was actually a bit weird because I was so happy. And then I got to the breakfast and then two of my other teammates, they didn't make it. So it was like, I wanted to share, like, I wanted to be happy and excited. And then I was so sorry for them. And they were so sad. And it was a really hard situation of, like, you are there with your team and half of the team is not going. So that moment was 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 difficult um, and very interesting. But, like, after that, I remember calling my mom, and yeah, that was that was very special and super cool. <laughs> so you, we went, you were humble during breakfast, and then <laughs> yeah. you call your mom in your room, you're like, Mom, yeah. it's happening. Yeah, for sure. 
And uh, so it was just by email. Like it wasn't like you did a race and at the end of that race, you had the points. You just like no, got an email. No, because they were a bit unclear of like you need two top eights or two, some results. I'm not exactly sure. And I think I was just on the border of that. And then, yeah, my coach didn't know and we went to bed. And I guess like if it was, it would have been a different time zone, like probably my co- coach would have told me. But um, yeah, I got it on email from, from the Olympic Center That's in great. Norway. That's not at all what I expected when I asked that story. <laughs> and yeah. what's, what's the Norwegian, like what's the vibe when you're going to the Olympics from Norway? Because Norway is, it's not just like you qualified for the Olympics. It's like you're qualifying on a team that expects performance and that, mm. you know, it's pretty often that Norway wins uh, the most medals in, in the Olympics. So is there like a special feeling of representing Norway specifically? Well, I mean, I don't know how it is to represent any other countries, but for sure it's like a proud moment. Like everyone knows it, they're talking about it. You know, it's a big event for the whole country. But representing Norway for mogul skiing still felt like no one really cares in that extent. And since I I wasn't like... um, for my first Olympic, I was young. You know, I was 18 years old. I was the youngest athlete from Norway that went to the Olympics that year. Congratulations. That's <laughs> something you. to be super proud of. Yeah, thank you, I guess. Um, yeah, so I, I, don't, I, I feel like pe- people didn't really expect anything. And I didn't either. Like, I just wanted to go there and learn. And, like, of course, I wanted to do well. And I remember I had a pretty good result right before. So I was like, I know I'm up there. Like, and I can get a top 10 result. Um but um, but yeah, I think like the whole country just like votes for you and really wants you to do well. And for me, especially, like I didn't feel any pressure that way. I think it's different if you come in like as a cross country skier and like you you're up there and like you should do really well. I think that's another game. Definitely. So how did it go your first Olympics at 18? I crashed at my first Olympics. Um so that was pretty tough. I yeah, had a really good training and was actually feeling pretty good. And then I think I just got really nervous and was like two tens. And I skied really well until like the half like halfway and then and then my ski just like boom just went out. And um yeah, so that that was that was medium. <laughs> Forgive my ignorance, but you get one run in moguls, you don't get two runs? Yeah, yeah, you get one run, one qualification run. It's actually a bit different, like and it's changed it's been changing a lot the last years, but normally it's like one run, um and then one final. But then I actually think maybe for Olympics we did two qualifying runs because it was first like the top ten got their like this secure their spot and then the next like ten or 20 got another chance another day i don't remember to be honest yeah so what's what's your vibe okay so you're at you make the olympics youngest on team you compete you unfortunately crash and then what's Mm -hmm. your vibe after that olympics are you like dead set on going again are you motivated are you crushed like what what's the feeling you're feeling then yeah so i remember feeling obviously like devastated and like fuck, I really wanted to do well and I knew I had it and I was, you know, training well and all the things. But then I remember especially going back from the Olympics um, and we had like a, we were on there playing together with the snowboarders and Stola and um, 
you stole the sunbeck who just, you know, took a medal and that whole team and some of the Alpine racers. And I just remember talking with them and like being so inspired by them and like their performance. And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to, I want to do that. So I was so motivated when I came back from the Olympics and I was like, I want to do everything I can to be the best I can be in four years. So, and I, I did come into that first Olympics in Sochi to like, I just want to learn. Like um, I would be stoked for sure if I do well, but this is to learn because the next one is where I really, that's when I'm going to perform. And what's that? So the next four years you have this super like clear goal and like I, maybe people at home don't even understand this, but the Olympics is a crazy achievement because it's not just being the best, but it's being a best at a certain time. Like, so it's not that you were the best on an off year. It's like every four years, that's the only year it counts. So you could be the best for the three years leading up to it, the three years after it, you could be the best. All the competitions a year that it's happening. But if you're not the best on that day, once every four years, then that's it. So it's like, I feel like it's almost like on steroids because the Super Bowl or, you know, a lot of these things, they happen every year, but with the Olympics, they happen just once. So like, mm -hmm. what's it like now coming in and it was it mentally tough or did we able to handle all that? For my second Olympics? Yeah. Well, my second Olympics was also like a different case because I had my biggest crash the day before the departure. So I was very injured. And that was, so basically what happened was that we had our training camp in order and it was the best training camp I've ever had. Like I skied so good and I was so stoked and I was so ready to go. And I remember my coach, he was like, you know, this is it. You're, you're up there. Like you, the, I've never seen you ski this well. And like, I get emotional talking about it because it's like, it was an, an emotional moment. And then, um, yeah, and then basically, like, one of the last runs of the day, I my I ski, like, very on the limit, but, like, in control and, like, really fast. And then just, like, boom, boom, my ski just caught, caught, and I just crashed on my shoulder and my head, uh, basically, like, face plant into the mogul. And, like, I couldn't move, and I remember just, like, feeling my back, and my physio was just, like, do not move, like, this is not good. And, and then I remember just like screaming and thinking like, fuck, like I'm not, not going to the Olympics. And then I was thinking again, like, fuck, what if I can't ski again? Like, this is not good. But then, yeah, luckily, like I was okay. I broke a little bone in my shoulder and I went to Oslo like that night to get a scan from the Olympic center. Like they wanted the full control and they wanted to you know, be in charge of that whole situation and ending up saying just like, you have your ticket, you have everything, like everything is booked, just go. It might not work, but just go. Like your bags are already on the way. So I, I remember just like running from from the physio to the airport and my, my dad was driving me and I just like made my flight. Um, and I got through the Olympics, very injured. I couldn't ski the first days. I was on super high um, pain meds. And yeah, kind of just tried my best and my, my, my body and my body, my mind didn't really connect. Like, even though I felt pretty good and like strong before my run, it was just not enough. And 
in that Olympics, especially like the course was so good for us and everyone's were skiing like 110%. So at 85, 90, that maybe on another day could have been a podium or a top five was just not enough. So, so going out of that Olympics was extremely hard and it definitely felt like a big failure. Um, at the same time, I felt kind of like relieved that it was over and that I had a new chapter to look forward to. And because I've already made that decision of, of going into free ride. Because I remember before the Olympics, I was like, okay, what do I do if I'm not um, reaching my goal? If I don't take a medal, if I don't win, do I still go on and change sport? And then I was like, no, yes, I, I do. I do want to go into free ride, whatever the result is, even though I don't reach that goal that I've been you know, telling myself and dreaming about for so many years, I still feel like free ride is where I want to go. But was that, was that hard to accept with the circumstances? Because like, it's one thing to say it four years in advance. It's one thing mm-hmm. to say it one year in advance. And then to have that feeling, like top of the world feeling, to then the crash. And then basically, was it hard to like keep that commitment you made to yourself? Or like, how do you look back on your mogul career now? Yeah, it's uh, it's a hard one. Like I feel, I definitely feel like I did not reach my fullest potential. I felt like the last two years, um, 2017, 2018, I was like, you know, I was on my way up there. And I think that if I had continued, I would have um, maybe been able to to get there. But I just felt like, However, this next four years, if I would have decided to go and continue with moguls, I was like, but this is not my dream anymore. It was and it has been. But now this has I just I felt like and I accepted that this was just a path and a way for me to get into free ride. And that is the new journey. And that is the new way. And that's just I'm just taking my skills and everything I've learned and I'm just putting it into something new instead of saying, like, oh, I failed. But I'm like, no, actually, this this thing is a way of me for me to get to this other thing. That was actually the meaning that I was going to go there the whole time. Definitely. No, I think that's beautiful. I think too many times we like are prisoners of our dreams from like a long time ago. Like I feel like there's so many times where we like refuse to like let let the past be the past and then move on to something because we're like, oh, what would my 14 year old self think or what would my blank, blank, blank think? And I think it's beautiful, like you said, of just like, this is my path to here and it's no longer my dream. Because I feel like after you put in eight years of hard effort, it's hard to just come to terms with it, but it's beautiful how you're able to just like emotionally come to terms with it. And did you compete same year as Olympics after you healed up from your shoulder? Did you then go into your first? Prayer World Tour. Yes. Like a free ride world tour stop, not like a qualifier. Like the free ride world tour final in Verbia. That was your first? Yeah. Yeah. So I basically went from the Olympics. I went to Morocco right after the Olympics uh, for like two week um, rehab, basically just trying to surf and relax. And then um, and then I went to Verbia. You show up to Verbia. So you, yeah. This is like a whirlwind story. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. This is more juicy than I thought because here you are like, top of your game mogul wise then that tragic injury then going to the olympics competing in the olympics but then you're not like then going to free ride completely like fresh and just like after a super positive experience you're almost coming in 
uh, like hurt and kind of with with a lot of the stuff. And then you show up to the hardest free ride event that there is, which is the Verbier Extreme. And then like, what what's that like? How did that competition go? Yeah, that was just I was I was just like, okay, I was invited to the Fred World Tour. Um, I watched some comps and I was like, okay, well, this this looks amazing. Like, I want to do this. And but I was like, okay, I need help. Like, I have no idea about anything. Like, I've never scoped a line. I've never I've had no idea, know nothing about avalanches, slough. Like, what is that? You know, I knew I didn't know anything. Um, and actually, like, I think that same year I did my first ski tour and I was I was ski touring with my skins the wrong way for five days. So I had no idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, so going into Verbia, um, I, I was just like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. It was never like a question of like, this is going to be hard for sure. But I, I see this person doing doing that and I can do the same. So it was a bit intimidating. Um, honestly, like the first thing, because I was like, I came into the tour or like the free ride scene feeling very like accepted and like in Dick Svensson with the Swedish community, like it was so open. And then when I came to Verbia, I was accepting that same thing. And then I came there and I felt very alone. And I was trying to ask the other riders, like, what are you doing? Like, where are you skiing? And they were like, hmm what do you mean you know what I'm, you know like they were not sharing where they were going and I was expecting like a whole different openness of that so luckily I had Henrik Winstead who who was with me and who helped me find a line because I had no idea like honestly I had no idea if I if he wasn't there I don't know where I would have good <laughs> okay, let's give uh, Henrik a big uh, air horns right here yeah. Shouts out Henrik being the only nice guy on the tour that year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was just, he was not on the tour. He was just helping me really. Um, but yeah, so I, so we found a line together and I, I skied the line that we picked out and I was the last rider. So of the whole event. And then, so basically when I came down, the crowns, like the Fred World Tour champions was kind of already assigned and like now looking back, I totally understand that for them, like having a wild card, a girl from moguls that they ne know nothing about just comes in there. Like they don't care. Like they are focused on their runs. They're focused on, on the title, like the last, it's the last push of the year. So when I came down, like everyone was like hugging and smiling and like congratulating each other of like being crowned as the champion. And I was just standing there alone, just like, okay, like I'm out. <laughs> So, yeah, that was a pretty interesting um, start. But then coming into next year and, you know, starting in Japan, that was such a cool experience and like feeling part of the team and really like being part of the tour from the beginning. That was such a beautiful experience. So, yeah. Definitely. I understand. It's like coming in on the last day of school. It's like yeah. everyone already knows each other. <laughs> everyone knows all the things that have happened. And then it's like, who's this new person on the last day of school? Do, yeah. I, do I have to be friends with them? I'm ready for summer. Totally. But uh, what was like, how did that first run go? Did you like, where did you place in the competition? I was fourth, I think. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, um, that was fine. I think I, yeah, it was, I think I skied like, okay, compared to my level at that time and then yeah and the next comp basically in japan where was where i did my first backflip and was the first woman to land a backflip in a free competition congratulations uh, thank you yeah so that was fun and like but that first year i just like learned so much like every run 
remember, so the first run in Japan, I did this backflip and then I didn't do anything after. And I was like, oh, I need to do more. Like I need to combine some features. And then the next run, I think was in Canada. Okay, now I'm going to do this. And then I did something else that was wrong or like not good enough. And I just learned so much every run. And it was such a cool and humbling experience. And I was just hungry to learn. And um, yeah, I, that first year on the tour was so sick. So what was that like learning curve like? So you extreme Verbier, that's in the spring. Then you have all summer to think about it, think about that experience. And then you start in Japan. And like, where are you placing on your first full year of the tour? Is it immediate success or is it kind of like uh, a bumpy road? Yeah, well, I would say it was a little bit bumpy. I think I had a fourth... And then we went to Canada, I think I crashed. And then we went to Andorra. Where did I end up there? I don't remember, but I had a podium in Fibrun, which was my first win, um, which was so incredible and so sick. That's like, honestly, one of the best memories of my ski career, because I felt like that run, I really skied to my fullest potential. And the, even like the morning, I, it was so beautiful. Like we woke up early in the morning. We took the gondola up, like watched the sunrise. It was like crispy and purple and beautiful. And I hiked up to the mountain. I just felt so happy, but nervous, but like in this like perfectly balanced flow. And and skiing down, um, I was just like, yeah, in this flow moment. And coming down, I was like, fuck yeah. Like I know I've done a really good run and I don't even care about the result. If someone else is, wins, like great then they have done amazing and I'm stoked for them. And I just, I'm just so happy in the feeling that I have right now of like feeling that I've fully done the best I could possibly do that day. And yeah, after that day, really, I was like, okay, I want to be the world champion because I want that feeling more often. And if I can have that feeling more often, I know that I will be the world champion. That's awesome. The, cl the classic slippery slope of dopamine. Yeah. Oh my God, this is great. How to get more of it. This has to continue. <laughs> but did you ever have that moment in moguls where like that, that feeling of like being so proud of what you achieved that you, that sort of like the rest of the moment doesn't even matter because you're so happy with yourself. Did you have those experiences before? Or was that kind of the first time you felt that way? Um, that's, that's so many years ago, so it's kind of hard to tell and hard to remember. But I do remember a few runs, and I don't even remember if it's a training run or a competition run, where I just felt like, oh my god, this is sick. This is so good. And I just lived off that feeling. Um, yeah. Did you feel like coming into the tour, did you feel like you had a mental edge by any like uh, standards? Because like mogul skiing and how many years and obviously the training and preparation you had there. And then what I'm assuming big mountain skiing, it's a little, the culture around everything is, is a little more relaxed. And did you feel like that those, not even skiing skills, but those competitive skills, did you feel like that was starting to pay off like in your first year on the tour? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've... I don't know how many, I've like hundreds of competition, you know, I competed my whole life, like I've back to back winter since I was so young. So yeah, I definitely think that uh, I've, I'm a good competitor and I know, you know, how to turn on and off. Um, you know, you can, I can have my bad days for sure, but I, I can deal with pressure quite well. So I think I had um, some competitive training, um, 
but it's so different like a free ride competition is just so different to moguls because you have no idea really what you're coming for um especially the first years because then you never been there you never ski that slope now like three four or five years later you come we come back to the same mountain so you know kind of what what to expect but that first year everything was new every run was new um but i think what was really funny was like i came into the tour with that mogul skiing national team kind of mindset and I wanted to do everything right, you know, like in as an Olympian, you learn how to take the right decisions. And if it's about sleeping, eating, um, training, resting, like it's just in you, it's just natural how you make choices in your life. And I remember coming into the tour and people were drinking every evening and people were, were not stretching and not going to the gym. I remember like in our group chat when I got to Japan, I was like, where's the gym? Where can I go biking? You know, like that was my first question in the group chats and people were like, where's the after ski? <laughs> so it was like, I didn't, I felt like I was really, I was not really connecting with every, with anyone because they kind of did their own thing. And it was, it was hard to find someone who was maybe serious in that sense, uh, where I, who could join me, like do all those things. So I felt a bit alone of, you know, having to run on my own and do all the rehab and like the stretching and all of those things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but then you learn the culture and you, you kind of, you become a part of it. And I think also it was really interesting for me coming in and people looked at me as this like very serious mogul skier Olympian and in and had that like identity put on me and then but in moguls I was this fun you know whatever uh, I was just part of the crew and everyone was serious I was more the fun one and then suddenly I'm labeled as this person that I don't really identify with and then I was okay so do I then like just what do I how do I do this you know does that make sense 100% I think it's very like, interesting because it's it's both like a competition but also a social place mm -hmm. and i think there is so much um that happens it's not just about the competitive or the run but kind of like how do i fit in how am i enjoying life on tour how am i viewed by my peers and nobody really calculates that into like the performance but it's like such a a big part because if you're struggling with like i don't want to say your identity but like if you're enjoying yourself or what people think of you then it's hard to really be like locked in and and I definitely identify like you're kind of like it just depends which room you're in so in one room you're the funny yes. relaxed person and then you go into a whole different room and all of a sudden you're the serious person and you're like how did how did this happen because mm. yeah so how, how did you deal with it what was the resolution I guess I I don't know I just tried to be friendly and like be open and accept what came my way and um, I think it took some time for pe for people to get to know me because like in the evenings when everyone was socializing, I was also studying full time. So I like I went into my room or sat in the, the kind of social room, but on my computer with my headset and working. So I think a lot of people just saw me as kind of distancing as well from them because I had so much going on and I was also producing Hedwig's Way and I was studying and I was doing all these things and training and and. Um, but for me, like I was still happy and I felt like I had my crew, um, the Swedes especially, and I, I had a lot of fun. And then on the parties, like I went full out, like full on and had a lot of fun. And I think people were like, oh yeah, okay, you can be fun too. 
um, but I, I still think that people view me as like that serious kind of uh, competitor. So that's one of my goals for this year is just to come in there and be more part of the crew and really enjoy every moment and for sure like take the right decisions for me, but maybe not be like 100% hyper-focused of like performance in every decisions and yeah, all that thing. Definitely, it sounds interesting. I get like a couple things from this, like kind of reminds me like when you're a kid and you're doing like two sports a day, like when you're on the free ride roll tour, going to college, producing your own YouTube series, like that. that's kind of, I'm seeing that as like that energy coming into your adult life. But then also, you know, I do think like sometimes like the, like hyper focus can be almost like a negative thing. Like it's that balance between enjoying the moment, but also being focused. And, you know, I think, I feel like there's almost like two negative connotation on people being like serious in, I think a lot of like the freestyle sports of skiing, like in slope style, uh, you know, I'm super guilty of this. And, but I almost feel like it was sending a negative thing. Like when I competed in slope style, I was so young and I was very caring what other people thought that I didn't think it was like cool to really try 100%. And then now I look look back on it and I'm like, well, I don't even know what results I would have gotten because I was almost like too scared to actually like focus and like get that sleep and have those things around me. I was like very consumed in like not being that person. And looking back on it, I'm like, ooh, like was that like a a mischance? So I think that in general, like I don't think it's like as a negative thing. And if you look outside of skiing, like you think, about like all these other professional sports are like ultra serious and i'm not saying we should become them but i think it's like to each person to like choose their choose their path and i don't think Mm -hmm. you should be like a black sheep because you decide that what you're doing is something that is worth doing to like 100 percent. yeah no totally i think whatever comes to you naturally right like if you are or for me like i can talk only talk from my own experience and for me that was the only way because i have learned through the Olympics and through the Olympic center, like this is how you become the best. So how I can't, I couldn't undo those things and my learnings. I just had to kind of go with that and, and do, do it the best that I could and still try to get some friends because it's, it's like, the, that's part of it. Um, but it was, that was not, my, I was not there to make friends. I was there to win. I was there to scheme and be the best gear I could possibly be. Yep. And I think that's the difference of other people coming to the tour to get like to find friends and to find a community and like now for sure like that that's a huge part of it and i want to be part of that but in the beginning that was not like why i was there definitely and tell me what's like the lunchroom vibes at like the free world tour because i've heard like things like that is like the swedes and the norwegians stick together the french stick together the americans and the canadians and the kiwis form some sort of like english-speaking alliance like what What's the dynamics on the free ride world tour? Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I mean, all of us are friends and we all hang out together. But I would say that the Frenchies, they like pretty quickly create a group. Um, and the Swedes with kind of everyone. Um, Kiwis, for sure. They're also a bit everywhere. But there's some groups. And now it's going to be interesting to come back like after a year off the tour and see how the new groups are but overall i would say it's a really open beautiful community where you know everyone really hangs out together and there's room for everyone yeah okay so let's go back to this chronological order because one of the things i've noticed like i know a lot about you i know you're a two-time olympian and i know that you've done really well in the free world tour but like that chronologicalness is sometimes like gets lost in like 
and the time and energy that you put into it. So the first year, where do you like rank on the tour after your first season? I was fourth on the first year and then I was second three years in a row. Three years in a row. Mm-hmm. And is that including your last season on the tour? Yeah. Okay, so you second. Okay, so <laughs> take, us, take me through. Four, second, second, second. Stop. I'm exhausted of being second. So did you come, who did you come second to in, the, in your second season on the tour? Yeah, so the first year I was fourth, just missed the podium. That was like, fine, I don't care. S- second year I was second after Ariana. Third year, I was second after Elizabeth. And then the fourth year, I was second after Jess Hodder. Okay. And so the one that sticks out the most to me, and it's probably a very painful moment, but the Elizabeth one, because that yes. year was like you were on fire. And it's actually interesting because that was the the next year is when I got into watching the Pre-Rodable Tour. So I actually didn't watch any of this, but I watched like the year recap and I, I like saw and basically like, can you tell us about that moment? And then sort of like, what have you learned from that moment and all that stuff? Oof, yeah, that's definitely like the biggest, the heaviest year and like a, just a big process, that whole thing. Um, like looking back, like in, that was the COVID year as well. That was 2020. No, 2021. So it was after COVID, but it was still, we were still affected by COVID. Um, so we were wearing masks and like, it was just a shit show, you know? But anyway, so I was basically like, I won the first comp, I crashed the next. I won this third comp and I crashed the next. And then going into Ferbia, I was leading and I was like, everyone was talking about like, okay, if you are second or third or like anywhere between second and fourth, like you're still going to win. And like people were talking about this, like where everyone needed to be. And I was just trying to like take that out. Like, no, I'm not going to focus on this. I'm going to focus on my run. I'm going to do my thing. And um, I tried to do that and I tried to be in my own zone. And I remember having a really beautiful talk with Evelina. Um, she deserves an air horn. Yes. <laughs> we love you, Evelina. <laughs> yeah. And that's also like such a beautiful moment because I remember talking with her. And at that time, I'm like, whoa, I am like about to reach my dream. Like this is going to happen tomorrow. And I felt like a strong presence of Matilda Rappaport, who passed away a few years ago. And she was my biggest inspiration for freeriding. And I remember seeing her on this on the Fred Wall tour and, you know, just seeing her riding. And when I was talking to Evelyn, I was like, hey, I just need to tell you this. But like, I feel like this is not just about me. It's about me kind of, how can I say this, um, passing on Matilda's legacy in some way or like everything that how she's inspired me now I am taking that and and using that to reach my dreams and she was just part of me in such a beautiful and strong way that whole week Uh, but still I was not able to like I don't know I was just so nervous I was so so nervous and I had troubles deciding which line I was going to go for it was like two pretty big lines that I was like, okay, I feel confident about both of this, but I don't know what is better. And I was trying to seek help from a lot of people and no one really told me exactly what to do. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, just going to do this. And then, um, yeah, that morning, still super nervous. Um, I remember though, Elizabeth, this is so beautiful. Like we were in the changing room, putting on our boots like 5 a.m. in the morning. 
and she was like Hedvig like you're gonna get this like this is your day you what you've done this year is so inspiring and like I would never have been here without you and like you deserve to win and yeah that was like before the competition and then we went up we we got to the top and I remember like the conditions were pretty bad and hard and difficult and a lot of people started talking of like oh no the, these are crashing and she's crashing and it was someone coming to me and um, I always try to like be in my own zone at the start and like don't really talk to an, anyone but then someone were, came up to me and told me like oh so all of these girls crash and like you basically just need to ski down like you're safe just like you should not maybe push it too hard so like people were already like putting things in my head and I was just doubting myself so I ended up when I was skiing, I was I was not in a flow at all. I was very much looking at myself from the outside and just like being, not being in it, but just seeing what I was doing. And yeah, I, I remember coming around to this big cliff that I was going to hit. And I, I remember like coming in and looking at it and I was like, whoa, that looks really steep and big. And I can see like the landing like way over there and it does not look good. And then I had like one second to decide and I remember skiing around it. <clears throat> and because like in my mind, people were just like, no, be safe, be safe, be safe. Like you can chill, you can chill, you're still going to win. Like you're still going to win. And I think that's, that just made me doubt my skills and doubt that I could jump that cliff um, instead of like being 100% and like being in front of where you are. It, if that makes sense. Like when I'm skiing, I'm already onto the next I'm just, I'm not where I am but I'm already looking for the next thing and here I was behind and yeah so basically when I came down I placed third I think and everyone around was like yeah okay this is good enough like you're going to win um and I was like whoa am I the world champ am I the world champ like I was looking around and people were like yeah like you're going to win and then we see the scores and I was like am I second? Like, how did this happen? I'm like zero, like 20 points away, which is like nothing. It basically is like shared first place. And Elizabeth and I was just standing there together and she won that comp. So, she, and we were just like, what is happening right now? And, um, and I was just like, what just happened? And that was just... Yeah, that moment was, I mean, I was, I was stoked for her and I'm happy for her. Like she did amazing that run and uh, she deserves that title like 100%. Um, but for me, that moment have haunted me. And I remember after that competition, like I couldn't sleep. Like if I didn't do something, I was thinking about this moment, about this cliff. And it took me months to like process that and accept my, my run and accept that I didn't win. So... Um, yeah, that was a very, it was a big learning and it was like definitely one of the hardest things that I've gone through because you think that you actually reached your dream and then you just didn't. And it happened like in a second. Definitely. It's one of those things too where like, from what I heard, like people didn't even think it was mathematically possible that uh, Elizabeth could even win that year. So it's something that like you're not even thinking about and then the rug comes out and how do you like how did you get that energy to pick yourself back up like where where like because i think that's the inspiring part yeah. and i think that through vulnerability like you're not the only one who's been in this situation i've also mm -hmm. 
in my event that I did was X Games Real Street, and I got third the first year, and I was like so close, like so close. Like if you read the internet forums, maybe like you know in a different reality, you know I I could have mm. won. And then the next year, same exact thing. I get second, mm. and I'm just super close. But I I can't. I never got to that gold, and that also still haunts me to this day because mm. that's like a that's the lifelong dream. And although I'm very very thankful to have the X Games medals that I have, it's still like that thing. And basically, like how how did you? I don't want to in my, insert myself into this, but how did you come from that and then just process it and then get yourself back up again? Mm-hmm. Well, I remember right after the comp, like I was just shocked. And just like I was processing that I was like that I didn't reach my dream and like I didn't accomplish that. But then very quickly I was like, okay, fuck, like I want to I want to win next year. Like I want to come back and I'm going to do even better. Like how can I do this better? How can I train harder in the summer and like just be prepared? So I was already like looking at next year at at that same day. And I had like a a big fire in me and like I wanted to do 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 better and take more of the right choices and I think that's also what fucked that next year up because I got so into details of like okay how can I win the overall not just like how can I win win every each and every competition but I was like I need to take the right decisions all the time so I get the overall because that's what I want I don't want individual titles anymore I want the, t- the big overall. Yeah, because you won a couple of these. Yeah. Let's not scroll past. You've had a lot of success. <laughs> Incoming second three years in a row, mm-hmm. you had a lot of success. Like winning a free ride world tour just for the audience. That's like an unbelievable achievement to win one stop. And then, yeah, so I just don't want to want to gloss over the, all the success that you did have up until that point. Mm, thank you. Yeah, no, those, those were great moments and some super fun wins for sure. Um but yeah, and also coming into that fourth year on the tour, I felt very systematic. And, you know, when people are, and the judges, they are like waiting for me to like go 110%. And when I go 95, it looks slow and it looks not so fun. It doesn't look exciting. And it's like, it's almost like I'm skiing with too much control. So I didn't get the best points. And yes, I was second and third, like I was on the podium on every competition, but I, I didn't win any single events. And yeah, that was just just not enough again to do the title. So like, it's like, okay, I've tried now everything. I've tried to do 110% on each race. I've tried to be 95, 90 in each race. And so yeah, now this year I'm going to go in and I'm just going to go 110% in each comp because that's when I do have the most fun. That's when I am proud of my runs. And that's what I want. Like I don't want to ski just to like be medium, you know, like even though it might get you the overall title, but it's like, I want to ski it for that run. And to get that feeling back of like skiing, something that you're really proud of. Definitely. And I think you have like a, a great like story, like coming into, I'm, you know, a fan of the Free World Tour myself, coming into this season, like you're one of these stories that I'm like, this is going to be fun to watch because <laughs> I know how much you want it. I know how good you are and how much it, that kind of first place is like, uh, like kind of just barely. So I think, uh, well, I look forward to watching you this year and, I think that is one of those things where sometimes we don't get what we want the time we want it. But I'm a believer that things happen and whether you win this year and that 
moment is extra sweet or whether you never win you know I, I believe that like the sometimes like you know I was telling you previously about my self-style career and stuff like that but I look back at a lot of things and I think like okay like those mistakes then got me to this and if I would have succeeded at you know if I would have just had this natural success or would have done this more than that then all these other things I don't get to experience and then all these places that I am now I don't get to have so I think that that's like a, a beautiful thing to, to take into account yeah no I agree I think I do really believe that things happen for a reason and that's why I also I think accept the outcomes of my actions because I'm like okay well this sucks but it was meant to happen because I'm learning from it exactly and then okay so now you do three years or no you do four years in one extreme verbier so you come eight years mogul skiing competing since you were basically a kid then you go directly that same season as the olympics into big mountain and then you do pretty much four years on the tour and then last year was your year where you said okay screw this i'm gonna have a free year yes i wouldn't say it's a free year but not competition yeah i basically felt that you know, I was just so tired of being judged, of being just people talking about me and talking about, oh, would you do this? Would you do that? Like, I, I couldn't, like, be, when you do a run on the comp scene, like, you, when you come down, you, like, you haven't even thought about what you did and you, you haven't even seen your own line before it's online and people are talking about it and judging it. So it's, it's a very, like, it's an interesting way of, of skiing because free ride is normally so personal and it's so deep that way and um but mostly i just felt like there's so much more to skiing there's so much more to free riding and i've never done a season like i've never done a full winter just skiing and i've competed my whole life back to back with like no big injuries so i just felt like i need to experience that like the real ski life i want to go i have the opportunity to go basically everywhere i want in the world to find the best snow and I can make films about that. I can join film companies. Like I already had connections with Warren Miller and MSP. And I had the idea of producing my own film, Headspace. So I just felt that like I don't want to look back at my career of like just continuing and continuing and continuing to compete and then just stopping. And then I didn't get to experience that real free ride ski life. And um yeah, so I wanted to do that and just to find the good snow because there was, you know, at that point we had had three really bad years of like the snow years and I just wanted to ski powder. <laughs> so basically last year I went to Japan, I went to Canada, I went to Alaska and I just skied so much pow and uh, had an amazing winter. But I also felt that I was a bit on a holiday. It was like, I don't know if this is enough. Like Alaska was definitely not a holiday. It was intense in all the ways. And it was very humbling and so crazy and beautiful. And like, I can talk for ages about Alaska, but it felt like, oh, I think I'm missing something. There's something that I, that I still want, or it's like maybe the rush of the competition element. I don't know, but yeah, now I'm going back. So definitely. So you had all that freedom. You had all that power. You got to ski on your own conditions and you're like, you know what? There is something that is missing pretty much. Yeah. And uh, can you tell me also, so I think it's interesting because you're somebody that does a lot at a lot of times. So you produce head or headspace, 
which mm -hmm. is releasing it's like you're doing some film tour rounds releasing sometime and uh you also start something called the sister summit is mm -hmm. that correct so that's that's yes. also in your free year of skiing pal <laughs> so tell us a bit about that as well and like how it was and sort of what it was like making that decision yeah for sure yeah it, it's funny because people are like yeah you're gonna take a year off and it's like yeah kind of like i just started a business was part of like six films and produced my own film <laughs> yeah that's not a year off that's not a year off at all uh but it was it was so great um yeah so basically i met lexi dupont on the free ride world tour um two years ago and we quickly become became best friends and it was like always the two of us and her partner Matt, which was always part of the, he was always with her on the tour, which was great. And basically we started chatting pretty quickly about, she had the idea of like, I want to create a community. I want to create a competition. I want to create something for girls that I feel is missing in the industry. And we basically, you know, sat together and started talking about how, what can, what can that be? How can that look like? How we, how can we create something that we want, that we need, that we needed when we were younger? And um, we came up with this idea after many hours and many weeks later of the Sister Summit, which is basically, well, basically, it's not basically anything. It's pretty hard to explain, but what we want to create is a global community where girls can can come and get support and we want to be that one platform where it's like oh i want to know more about free riding okay sister summit that's where i'm reaching out to if it's about if i want to learn about partnerships if it's about competition how to get into filming how to get sponsors how to find people to ride with like all of those things is something that we want to give and, and create and be that hub for and we believe that how to create that is through events that's our starting point so we've had now two events with the best skiers and snowboarders um, in the world um, but what we do is that in the in the morning and in the day we go skiing and riding and we push ourselves and we help each other um, get better and then when we come back we we tune inwards we we sit down we listen to global speakers a special guest that's invited who is either zoomed in or are there um, at the lodge and we discuss and we talk about everything from nutrition to negotiation strategies to gender equality, diversity, sustainability, um, psychology. We had a sports psychologist with us for the whole week who the girls could go and talk to when they wanted and we basically want to give the girls the tools to be the best athletes they could possibly be. And these tools we want to give to everyone by when we're filming, we're filming everything that's happening. And we also are creating a global report, giving back to the industry and also making a film from the events. Um, so it's kind of like a, at the events, we are, we want to give the girls the, the community and to introduce them to each other. To We have a full media team. We have a full um, only female guides, which was also so sick. Like both of our events, all the, the female guides were just like, this is the first time I've ever been in a guys room with only females. It's like never happened before. And it's so beautiful to create these moments for these girls. Um, and, you know, we create that, that space for them to, to meet and to go on and do their own thing in the future. If that's, uh, finding a photographer you want to work with, or 
meeting your new best friend or finding a girl that's sponsored by your dream partner and then they introduce you and you're now sponsored by that brand so it's really a, a space for connection and sharing knowledge and experience and and then we have so many plans of, of future if it's taking into taking it into um, surfing and biking and other sports or other levels and opening for the public like yeah there's a lot of ideas but that's kind of like a big um Okay. what it is <laughs> if that makes sense it does make sense uh and i think i like the the mentorship aspect of it like being that place mm-hmm. and connecting like people of all different levels and abilities from people like yourself who are probably more seasoned with competing and like you know filming with these major film companies and then being able to pass that down and then also i do think that in such a guy dominated sport that there's definitely a need to support uh women in the sport and mm-hmm. have them feel supported because women are minorities in the sport and basically i think it's easy from a guy's perspective to just think that the playing field is even but the playing field is not even whatsoever and i think it's very important yeah definitely not even um we had a one of our our favorites uh and she is a uh, professor and she did a huge study on us and the industry and she was at the event for the whole week and she presented her findings of like how unequal the industry is and it was just so interesting and powerful to see all these numbers and to see how bad it is and all the difference that we can make and how we can do it together and that's like our biggest passion is to share these facts and to share the change and and be the change that we want to see and try to get the brands and the athletes on board to do that so um Yeah, and I think the two things that I didn't mention that we do, uh, which I think is important, is like one of the things that you touched on is like the the mentorship part of it, where we have the rookie series where we invite basically the public, like every girl who wants to put up a reel and and be part of the the Sister Summit rookie series. They can put up a reel, make a film, and they will be voted on on Instagram. And they will come to Sister Summit for free and basically learn from, you know, their heroes. And um, also with the True Sister Award, which is the other element of competition where, because we thought, oh, we want some kind of competition. We want to, you know, we want the girls to push and to, to go for it. Of course, you're, you yeah. created the event. <laughs> yeah. You love competition. Of course we need a competition. Yeah, we need some kind of competition. But we quickly saw that we don't want to compete against each other we we the competition we have is called a true sister award and it's basically it's voted like everyone votes votes for for the sister it's one snowboarder and one skier but it's about who is the true sister who is the girl who stands up for herself who see the room who support others who is a who is a guide who is you know who is that person who who push a bit harder for for everyone to feel seen and loved and supported and put themselves aside and that especially this year was so powerful to see first of all every girl who was attending got at least one vote which means that everyone in that room made a difference for someone else in that room which was like so powerful to see. Like when we did the the calculation of the voting, it was like, oh my God, this is so sick. <laughs> and then those two girls who who won or like who, you know, was voted to be the true sister, it just made such a big impact on them because they were like, wow, like all of these girls like collectively think that 
I've actually made a change here. And um, yeah, I think that's what we want to really, you know, continue to do and continue to inspire others to to be a true sister. Because it's not about the individual, it's about the collective and we need to work together. Definitely, that's super beautiful. And how do you how do you have time for like all of this? Because now you're back on tour, you're, you have Hedwig Unfiltered now coming out, you have all these responsibilities and then also you're you're starting this and i think that it's really inspiring because i think a lot of people have this idea of like okay how do we create like a fellowship or how do we create a community how do we for example i don't know i like guess professional athletes talk more maybe about the business side so that nobody's getting taken advantage of or talk about this but then very few people uh have that idea and then actually go and create something that would <laughs> That would solve it so basically how how do you like split your time between things and how do you prioritize oh yeah um that's gonna be interesting actually going into the tour now because i haven't had sister summit and competed before but my three first year on the tour i was studying full-time so i still know how to you know do multiple things at the same time and i do like that because i like to have my my brain to focus on different things so I think it will be nice, um, but what I do try to what I try to do is to just manage my time well. And it's like, okay, today is office day, or this evening I'm gonna work on Sister Summit for two hours, and I'm you know I'm hammering the to do lists and um, use my. I think I'm just really efficient. If it's about my training or you know I don't really watch TV, didn't don't watch any series. Like I'm pretty. You know, just I want to use my time uh, on something that gives me something or. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely like this fall and this summer was really exhausting, to be honest, like it was it was a lot with Headspace to creating like producing, directing Headspace and traveling on the tour for the film and also hosting Sister Summit and trying to find funding like this is probably the most hectic, difficult, painful fall I've ever had. So um, I'm not saying it's easy. It's been really, really hard. And I had now, I needed to take some weeks off to like get back uh, to my headspace. And that's where I'm right now where I'm like, okay, finally, I'm, I'm feeling calm again. I feel energized and I'm, I'm excited to, to ski and to be better and, but have Sister Summit as a side project and luckily we are a really beautiful team and with some girls that you know really believes in this and but we're all working you know on our free time we're all volunteers there's no one is getting paid uh, which is obviously the dream to to do but as of now we're just volunteers trying to do it in our evenings and in our weekends so um yeah so i would say like how i how i manage my time I'm, I'm pretty busy um but i also i'm pretty effective yeah so when i work i work hard and then i'm done <laughs> that's, a, that's a life hacker i think uh, uh, what you said there or one thing that i should be identified with that i wouldn't say it's like 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 a life hack because there's no such thing as a life hack but i remember um i hurt myself i think i might have torn my acl and i was feeling down and about and I was on Netflix and I watched like seven seasons of like the show about like a fraternity uh, and sorority culture called, uh, I can just out myself, it was called Greek. And I mean like each, this is like an old school TV show. So each season is like 20 episodes of like 40 minutes each. And I'm just 
guilty pleasure watching it. Like it's just comforting. It's like I'm not even paying attention to it. I'm just watching it because I'm just trying to not think about the fact that I have a torn ACL and don't know what to do. But I finished the last episode. So we're talking like a hundred plus episodes and I just go, I cannot, like I can't do this. And I stopped watching uh, series. Uh, I, I watch like movies because it's like a two hour commitment and then it's over. Uh, but I stopped watching series. Uh, now I've watched a couple series after, but I try my best to not watch series. And like in that time, I pretty much learned uh, Swedish and <laughs> not watching series. I like started painting again. And like so many positive things came out when I like just had that inside of like, okay, like what am I doing with my time? And is that time a good investment for my life? Mm -hmm. And it's so easy that we just like, I don't want to say get brainwashed, but we have so many feelings. We want to feel comfort and you just end up, putting your time into things that it's like it's not a returning asset it's like mm -hmm. a diminishing asset like i'm never getting those however many hours of greek back in my life but if i do learn another language like oh my god i can get that out or if i focus on something else in my life that will give me a good return like a relationship with my parents or a relationship with this person or something in skiing that i really want to achieve then all of a sudden that energy that i put in then builds and builds and builds and then i get something like bigger in return and I think that that's like a, a beautiful thing that you said. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's, well, that's so beautiful. And I'm so stoked for you that, that you learned Swedish and we can talk, talk Swedish and Norwegian together. But it's like, we just have one time on this earth. And it's like, I just want to make the most out of it. And for sure, like you have heavy days where you do one, don't want to do anything. And like, of course, watch a video, like do whatever. But overall like when you feel good do something that's that really makes you feel good and if it's learning something or doing something or being creative and giving space for that I just I just don't want to miss that opportunity and I don't know if sports like I believe maybe many people who is listening to this is already like sport interested or are athletes but I think we are very fortunate as athletes because we learn how to you know, we need to be, if you want to be good at something, you need to put a lot of effort in it. And when you see that, oh, if I put this much effort into this thing, what if I put that much effort into this thing, which was for you, the language and your painting. And yeah, use the time on something that you love and, and find those different new habits. And um, yeah, I don't know. Now it's it's kind of a new year. It's a new opportunity to to give yourself some some cool goals and dreams and I, I do really believe in that and also affirmations uh, you know tell yourself what you want to see tell yourself who you want to be and and do that because everything is possible and you can basically make your own our own dream world are I, you a big uh, new year's resolution person not really no but i have a few things that i i want to be better at um because it's like I, I still have like all my dreams and all my goals like already they're already there so it's not like oh i need to change this like, huge thing but um yeah but i'm a big like goal setter yeah that's awesome awesome well thank you so much for coming on the show it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure you can give a hug yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, and uh, I really appreciate your vulnerability. And uh, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Yeah. Episode of the Passion Report. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.